Welcome to Digital Detectives, reports from the battlefront. We'll discuss computer forensics, electronic discovery, and information security issues and what's really happening in the trenches. Not theory, but practical information that you can use in your law practice, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the 27th edition of Digital Detectives. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises. We'd like to take this time to thank our sponsor, Galavan, Galavan, and Omelia, creators of the Digital War Room platform for e-discovery. And I'm John Simic, vice president of Sensei Enterprises. Today on Digital Detectives, our topic is, ouch, lessons learned from the Morgan Lewis redaction disaster. We're pleased to welcome as our guest, Christine Musil, the director of marketing for Informative Graphics, a technology company that provides secure document viewing software and redacted electronic redaction software. Christine is a frequent writer and speaker about electronic redaction best practices in the legal industry. Welcome, Christine. Thank you. Great to be here. Well, let's get started. And if you would, Christine, tell us about the particular mistake that Morgan Lewis made with the Goldman Sachs information and what information was accidentally exposed as a result. Sure. Well, to give uh, just kind of a quick review with anyone who might not be as familiar with what happened, um, there were a number of companies uh, generally led by Overstock.com that were suing some of the big banks. And in the end, most notable was Goldman Sachs and uh, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. Um, so they were suing them for artificially deflating their stock values through something called naked selling, which is basically like short selling, but without ever bothering to borrow the stock. So Overstock had been looking to get some papers unsealed. And so they had finally, they uh, they tried before, this is their second motion, I believe, um, and Morgan Lewis, who was representing the big banks, was filing a response to that motion to get the papers unsealed. And of course, the banks wanted to keep the papers sealed. Unfortunately, one of the partners at Morgan Lewis attached unredacted copies of all the very documents that Overstock.com was trying to get unsealed. So once they were filed, it just took one person to notice that they were there and, you know, it all kind of blew up. And if you ever actually read the documents that were uh, filed, they you can see why they wanted to keep them sealed. I mean, they were they were fairly incriminating. Um, they definitely showed not only the, you know, just kind of the embarrassing parts for the bank, it's just that it showed their attitude. It was really showing kind of how they thumbed their noses at regulations and compliance and honestly, even their own clients. And they absolutely admit to naked selling. So there's a quote in there that says, we are not borrowing negatives. Why would we want to borrow them? We want to fail them. And by failing, <laughs> they mean to do the <laughs> the naked selling. So um, kind of the sad thing is, in the end, the judge dismissed the case, ruling that not enough of the alleged wrongdoing had happened in California. So I would love to know how this would have gone out, you know, how this really would have affected the case. But we, we don't get to know that. But um, it definitely was was embarrassing to say the least, both for Morgan Lewis and then for the banks as well. Hmm. So so tell us a little bit about how all that, that whole scenario um, relates to your expertise in, in electronic redaction. Sure. So we make viewing and redaction software, and for the last five years, that's kind of been my specialty. So I have been following all these great cases that for a while were flowing fairly regularly of redaction fails, is what we've called them. Uh, so I've become a bit of an advocate on the whole process of, of redaction, and I've really focused mostly on the legal side, um, and I've been a member of EDRM and, and kind of talked to a lot of companies and some of our customers who've had some unfortunate mistakes, and I've gotten the chance to kind of build a good a good sense of process and kind of help some companies out with how they go about redaction. Um, and so, you know, in this case, it, this wasn't exactly an improper redaction or a, a true fail, but it was definitely a failure in process. 
I, I love the name uh, failed redactions, and uh, I think I think there are a lot of them. We we kind of been following those too, maybe not as intensely as you have. But I'd like to know, in your judgment, to to, to what extent is this kind of error commonly made by lawyers uh, or co- corporations, as we've also seen, and why in the heck is this such a blind spot? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> Um, So it's hard to know how common it is because, as you may imagine, companies really don't want to admit to this. So if they can, you know, slide it under the radar, of course, they're going to do that. But, you know, as I said, for a couple of years there, it seemed like we couldn't go four months without some kind of redaction headline. And in fact, if you go back to when we started uh, with a redaction product, nobody knew what redaction was. I was always having to explain it. It doesn't need explaining anymore. People kind of have caught on to what it is. And so it's a little more understood. Um, However, you know, we are still human beings and we're still going to make mistakes. So the, the really ironic part, I think, is when I was doing some research you know, for this um, interview, I came across a really great document by a colleague of the partner at Morgan Lewis who made the mistake. It's in, she's out of the same office. Um, and she has created this great electronic data discovery best practices guide. And it, it really details um, how to go through a proper e-discovery process. And it really details what you need to do to prepare for going into e-discovery. And it has a whole section just about your quality assurance process. And then the last part of that is how to check that all your documents are properly redacted. So <laughs> I think the important thing that people need to remember is, and I think this is where they really fall down, is that you know, there's never, especially when these, you get into these you know, mega lawsuits, there's never a tidy single production event. So while they may be great at getting through the process and going through all the checks and balances for that one delivery, they don't do a good quite as carefully when it comes to all the responses and, you know, all the other things that go back and forth. And really, they need to remember that these processes should be followed every time documents leave the office. Anytime something's going out, there has to be a check and balance. And I think, you know, that just takes diligence. And that's where people tend to get a little too fast or in a hurry or whatever it is. I think that's just a human nature issue. And you've got to have the right balances and checks in place to, you know, to kind of combat that. So, Christine, what, what kind of redaction mistakes are, are, are most common? And, and I guess we've, we've kind of migrated away from the old black magic marker, right? Because we're, we're, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're dealing with electronic files now. So um. I, I don't know. I've still seen black magic markers, John. <laughs> well, some, you know, some people are really comfortable with the black magic markers, and so they are afraid to give them up because they, they know that once they've covered it, you know, there's nothing else they can do once they've Xeroxed that and they, you know, they trust it. But, you know, in, in the modern world of electronic redaction, there are really two ways to categorize, or at least that I categorize, uh, redaction mistakes. So first, there's the technological mistakes. And if you think back to a couple of years, I don't know if you're familiar with the Facebook scan, uh, snafu, where um, they thought they had properly redacted, but they, and this is comments happened a couple of times, actually, Blagojevich lawyers did it as well. Um, they thought they were redacting just by drawing a box over the text. So you might, right. you know, open a, an application like Word, you draw a black drawing shape, you convert the document to PDF, mm-hmm. and hey, that drawing shape came across, and it's covering my text. Therefore, the text must be redacted. And all it takes is somebody who's a little more technologically savvy. PDF is a vector-based format, and it supports a concept of layers. So just because something that you see looks covered doesn't mean the text isn't still underneath. And to test it or to kind of find the mistake, what people do is they take these redacted PDFs and they start copying all the text. Mm-hmm. And they paste it out into another, you know, like a Word document or a notepad even, and that text that's under the doc, under the black polygon, it's still there, and it's now fully readable. So that's kind of what the more technology-based mistakes have been. And in this case, it's the other kind, which is just again a process mistake. So those are you know generally the most common. 
Uh, well, I think everybody knows they need to stop avoiding uh, this kind of thing. Uh, they, they need to figure out how to do this and do this right. So how can you properly redact and, and be sure that everything is, is gone? Sure. Um, well, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm a really big advocate for following a process, and then you, you get that process down. I even uh, recommend that you have a, a kind of a, a dedicated person who is your redaction specialist. That way, if there's any questions or she's responsible or he is responsible for training other staff, but there's somebody who really gets the redaction process. So whatever tool you're going to use, you know, have to make sure that you or someone at the office spends time learning to use it correctly. You know, there's undoubtedly for whatever tool you're using, there's some kind of training videos available. There's tutorials, tutorials available, sorry. Um, you know, and make sure you have that clear process in place. And if possible, um, have it take the time to check it at the end. And uh, I recommend, again, the way that people find the redaction mistakes is by copying that text. Have somebody do that at the end. That's the last check. Well, it, what if you're you're talking really about having somebody who's in charge of this, but that's not feasible for solos or small firms or, or very small businesses. So in that case, what do you recommend? Well, there still needs to be one person who's who's uh, really understands how to do it. Um, I've heard of it being done always. And actually, uh, for some of our customers, some of the smaller firms, it tends to be one of the partners themselves that actually does it. Or if they have a really great you know, assistant or paralegal, um, it will fall to them fairly often. But again, it's, it's the lawyer who's on the line. It's their reputation, but it's also their, you know, they can be disbarred potentially. So the, the consequences are fairly severe for the lawyer. So it's in their best interest in a small practice to kind of double check things. So Christine, tell our listeners a little bit about the, some of the benefits and the pitfalls. Uh, we've been talking about electronic redaction. We kind of joked around about the, you know, the paper-based and the little black magic marker. But you know, I, I, I still see a lot of folks that are that are doing that. They just don't have the confidence in the electronic uh, redaction. So just like we were saying before, they'll actually print the thing off, right? Do the black right. magic marker drill and then right. rescan it. <laughs> um, <but laughs> right. So, so, what you know, you've got this. And I think maybe that's what you meant when you were talking about process. Um, maybe yeah. that's the process that works for them. But t- tell us a little bit about some of the, the pitfalls, some of the benefits that depending on the whether or not you're doing electronic or, or traditional paper-based? Well, I can tell you when I first got into the, uh, you know covering the whole redaction area and started talking to paralegals in particular is where we started, um, I was horrified to learn that they had these redaction parties and that people sat in a room with boxes and boxes of paper and a marker and that that's like, I mean, to me, it took a beautifully searchable, tidy, you know, fairly environmentally friendly electronic document and you just printed it and copied it probably <laughs> three times <laughs> So, uh, yeah, that, that was a little surprising to us. Um, well, the lawyers and, love their paper, though. <laughs> <laughs> they do. They do. I, I, I totally understand. Um, but the benefits of electronic redaction, as I kind of just alluded to, one of the biggest advantages is that you can take advantage of the searchability of an electronic document. So if it hasn't been TIFFed, um, otherwise you have to run it through OCR. But um, as long as you've got an original document, you know, search it. That saves so much time. So um, there's a couple different ways you can go about redaction, but um, generally all the big software packages for it are going to let you search um, or even build a list of search criteria. So you can search for words, phrases. Um, you can do pattern matching. So if you're looking for particular phone numbers or all phone numbers but this one or social security numbers or anything like that, you can do a pretty good automatic first pass. And then you just have to have a person come by and double check. 
or do a spot check or, you know, it depends on what your process is going to be, but it takes a lot of the burden off of those reviewers who, if I don't know about you, but if I was sitting there redacting for a whole day by hour eight, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to be real accurate and my heart's not really going to be in it. So um, I think letting the machine do a lot of the heavy lifting for you just saves so much time. And I have talked to, believe me, I've talked to people who have actually finally, you know, done the switch from, from the manual method to the electronic method. And they say what used to take them a day can take them, you know, 30 minutes. So that's, that's hard to turn away from and not, you know, that's a pretty easy justification for cost and for, you know, for taking the time to learn it and do it right. It saves an amazing amount of time. Well, that's great advice. But, uh, before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break with a few words from the Legal Talk Network and our sponsor, Gallivan, Gallivan and Omelia, creators of the digital war room platform for e-discovery. Do you need to strategize, review and produce documents for litigation, government investigations, or HSR second requests in a single e-discovery tool for every size and every type of matter? Digital War Room eliminates costly pre-processing of collected documents, realizing savings of 80% or more, and giving you greater control over e-discovery. Experience end-to-end e-discovery on your Windows desktop, on your internal network, or in our hosted review center. Download a free trial of Digital War Room Pro at www.digitalwarroom.com. That's digitalwarroom.com. Promote yourself online with Legal Talk Network by becoming a featured lawyer. Your featured lawyer profile lets potential clients and referral attorneys get to know you in a five-minute podcast interview with Legal Talk Network, plus your photo, your bio, and your firm's contact info. Be part of the most progressive online legal network anywhere. Just call Legal Talk Network at 781-551-9960. That's 781-551-9960. Or by emailing admin at legaltalknetwork.com. Be a Legal Talk Network featured lawyer now. You can advertise with us at Legal Talk Network and have your own commercial play in this podcast. Just give us a call anytime at 781-551-9960. Or shoot us an email at admin at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. Welcome back to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're talking to guest Christine Musel, the Director of Marketing for Informative Graphics. Christine, you've talked somewhat about the steps that legal professionals can take to double check that documents have been redacted properly. I have two questions. Is there anything you'd like to add to that? And also, is there a process that's online somewhere or or something that people could use as a template for this? Um, So, yes, there's absolutely uh, resources available on the web. We have a paper that I've written that's on our website. Um, The government has put out a couple of guides, actually, on, they call it um, sanitizing documents. So you can also look it up that way. But there there are definitely other helpful bloggers that have put things out there that really recommend good best practices for redaction. And and a lot of it is specifically to the legal field. You know, I'm I'm familiar with with some of the products that that are available and for redaction. Some are easier or very simple, and some are more more difficult. Um, can you tell us a little bit about where that span is and and how easy electronic redaction systems um, are to learn and and use? Sure. Um, honestly, most are quite easy to use, but with any software, again, um, it's a, just a matter of learning to use it uh, correctly, I guess. 
um, and spending some time with it, to really being sure you're familiar with it and that you understand how it works. So again, we really do recommend that there at least be one person who is the expert who can train new people. You know, that person, some, you'll know who they are. They're the person who generally has that affinity for technology and probably likes to sit there and tinker around, around with software in general. There's usually somebody like that at, at most firms, but um, there are a number of fairly easy redaction tools out there. You know, obviously we make Redactive, which only does redaction. So it's fairly easy. You don't have to navigate around to, to find a particular redaction menu. It's all right there. Um, and that runs about $295 a seat. And then a lot of people choose Adobe Acrobat. That's it's pretty common for the legal field. Um, it has some good resources available to help people learn. It's got some tutorials. It's got some forums out there where it's kind of users helping users. Um, and whatever, if you do choose an Acrobat, do be aware that you have to have the um, professional version to get redaction. And that's right. going to run about $450 a seat. Um, a lot of law firms, especially when we're talking a little bit more than mid-size and up, they're going to have some kind of case management or e-discovery software. And most of those come with at least a simple redaction tool in them. So make sure you know if that's in there and how to use it. Um, some of them will only cover TIFF, so it might be nice to have a secondary system if you want to do native format redaction as well. So there's again, there are quite a few out there, but it really just is a matter of, you know, it's just like learning Word. Once you've used it a couple times, you've got it down. It's just a matter of sitting down and taking the time. Well, thanks for mentioning pricing, because I know that's something that our listeners are always asking about. So it's it's good that they have some idea of what the cost might be. Um, these days, I know that electronic discovery converges with almost everything. Um, so why don't you talk to us a little bit about the convergence of e-discovery and, and redaction? Sure. Um, so e-discovery now can involve you know increasing amounts of, of documents and data. And the need to properly handle that data hasn't changed, you know, and since it was paper and it was more boxes. The failure to properly safeguard the data in your protection can come with some pretty serious consequences. So, um, you know, there's, there are actually, um, in my research, I've come across some pretty steep sanctions that have been handed out for failure to properly redact. Um, and in the worst case, and this would have to be a serious ethics issue, obviously, but there could be disbarment. So it's important to remember, you can't get your data back once it's kind of gone out in the wild, so to speak. So you can't get your redaction or your, your reputation back, I'm sorry, as well. So don't be a headline. It's really important that you remember that redaction is an important, it's a, it seems like a small step when you're, you know, when I look at the giant, you know, e-discovery reference model, if you follow that, there's a lot of steps, there's a lot of important parts. Redaction seems like a little piece, but it is an incredibly important piece. Can, can you give us some sense of what the sanctions have been in terms of dollar amounts? Honestly, I, I have tried to find a couple and they have varied from, you know, a couple thousand dollars. I've seen some that were more in the tens of thousands, but they split that across um, a couple different lawyers have been hit at the same time, so they shared it. Um, so I've I've seen a few. Um, I've seen more just kind of stern reprimands from the judge. Kind of, they actually will will put it in in their um, summary. But um, I, I have seen the only time I actually saw a disbarment. It looked like that was tied to there were some other. I mean, there was clearly other ethics issues going on, and he had actually done. I do believe it was he. Um, had chosen to try to basically done spoliation. He had tried to redact things that absolutely should not have been redacted and were not covered by privilege. So yeah, that that's when they're actually trying to hide the ball. And, exactly. And I, exactly. I think I remember yeah. that case too. I don't remember the facts, but I do remember using redaction to hide the ball. Never yes, a good yes. idea. Judges right. are never fond of that. Right. Which again, you know, you do have to be careful. You 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 have a powerful tool here, but you need to use it you know properly. You really you have a responsibility, of course, with the new you know the rules of federal civil procedure are very specific that you must safeguard certain amounts of you know, certain types of personal information. 
Um, we deal a lot with healthcare companies, and they have a lot of responsibility through HIPAA and things like that to to protect patient information. Mm-hmm. So you have a responsibility to protect the right kinds of information, and and you need to walk that line on on being lawful with the rest. <laughs> there you go. So, so Christine, what are you, what are your top three to five somewhere in their best practices for for folks to properly redact documents so that they don't end up uh, acting like a, a Morgan Lewis? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, the first step, I think, is to buy redaction software. Uh, the second step would be learn to use your redaction software. Uh, the third step, and it, this is my favorite step, as you probably can tell, is create a good process and make sure it includes a good QA process. And then the final one is follow your process every time. It's amazing how much they don't do that. Exactly. <laughs> it sounds really simple, but I, I understand life gets busy and you get in a hurry and... It's really important. It's like any other law office policy or plan. You know, it, it, the circumstances kind of overtake the policy or plan because everybody's moving so fast. Right, right. You know, when, when you mentioned that too, and, and I know I've run across this on occasion, is if you, um, if you upgrade any of your software, mm-hmm. make sure that you test it and run back through it again because just because you did it right with, you know, version two or whatever it is, version three might be a little bit different. And, and we've had that, that at least true. in the we've had that a little bit in the in the forensic world. So, um, you know, otherwise you'd be trucking right along, thinking you're doing things properly, and you're really not. That's that yeah. post audit yeah. thing that you were talking about. Yeah. There's another suggestion for the Morgan Lewis in particular because this was an issue of of um, I'm sure they had redacted versions of these documents, and he just attached the wrong one. Have clear naming conventions. And yeah, make it's, sure it's you funny, know where funny, your redacted ones are. <laughs> that, that's funny that you say that because I was going to mention that. And, and I think very often what happens, again, because people are in a rush, they either don't name it properly or somebody picks the wrong document. You know, they don't choose the redacted version right. uh, and, and they just choose the underlying final draft or whatever it's called. Uh, and, and the wrong thing just inadvertently gets set, sent out maybe because somebody's tired, lazy, whatever, or just right. under stress. <laughs> right, right, right as I'm sure was the case here, yes. Well, thank you for joining us today, Christine. It's always kind of fun to hear the backstory behind the headlines. And I think our (laughs) listeners have learned a lot about redaction and the way to do it right. And and in case you didn't hear this before, make sure you have a process. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) We're so glad you could be with us. Thank you very much, Christine. I've enjoyed it. Thanks very much. Well, that does it for this edition of Digital Detectives. And remember, you can subscribe to all editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on iTunes. And you can find out more about Sensei's Computer Forensics Technology and Security Services at www.senseient.com. We'll see you next time on Digital Detectives. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Check out some of our other podcasts on LegalTalkNetwork.com and in iTunes.